Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we've got Season 5, Episode 6, Homecoming. Mary, what happened this week? Brandon's really school president now, and I'm so glad we got to see that decision play out and have it explained to us with complete clarity. Anyway, he goes to Chancellor Arnold's house to meet another president. Fernando Quintero of Selenesia is like Chancellor Arnold's BFF. Also, he's visiting because he has liver cancer that needs treatment. That doesn't mean they're not going to throw him a party, though. Brandon meets Kay Whitney and Ben Lerner, Josh's friends from a campus human rights group. They inform Brandon that President Q maybe isn't such a good guy. They call him the Butcher for ordering at least 450 acts of torture in his country. Ben is as grossed out that Brandon pressed fleshed with him as I am that Ben used the phrase pressed flesh. (laughs) Brandon is skeptical about their claims, as he just kind of met the guy and he seemed pretty cool. Kay and Ben let Brandon know that they're going to make President Q's visit as unpleasant as possible. True to their word, 12 students show up at President Q's reception party, chanting about how he's a murderer outside. President Q leaves the party early, claiming fatigue due to his illness. Claire thinks the situation is super sad. President Q has been a super good friend to her family, introducing her parents and being a big part of her life since childhood. She says her father worked with him to basically install democracy in Selenesia. Brandon tries to find some common ground with the human rights activists. They give him some reading material, and Kay promises tangible proof that President Q is the butcher. Brandon runs into Andrea at the library to talk to her about what he's read about President Q. Andrea says she would take the account seriously because they're, the only aim of this human rights group is to help people. Brandon goes to see President Q again, who is cooking with Claire. He tastes his sauce, asks like two questions, and says the hardest thing about being president is not being able to please everybody. Kay introduces Brandon to Mon, a former citizen of Selenesia who was beaten repeatedly to elicit a signed statement against his brother. Brandon asks how he can help. The answer is bringing a civil suit against President Q, which will disallow him to leave the country while investigations take place. But Brandon is the only one with access to him to serve the papers. Claire tells Brandon that if he does it, she'll never speak to him again. Brandon's like, easiest decision ever. He serves the papers to President Q, who accepts them with poise. Somehow, he kept Chancellor Arnold's respect, and Claire decides not to never speak to him again. Darn. Also, Mon thanks him and tells Brandon he's a brave boy. Like, I don't know. Once we talk about this, maybe I'll have a more formed opinion, but I feel like this was kind of very... Like, like it was like a very intense story to have been such a throwaway where like truly nothing has changed in Brandon's life. Yeah, and I kind of feel along that point is like maybe this should have gone multiple episodes. Like maybe this should have actually been an investigation rather than just like everything kind of wrapping up nicely at the end. And I mean, I say nicely, like it's not that nice, but like, I don't know. It just felt... <sighs> This made it feel more like a procedural or, you know, more like a sitcom or something like that. Yeah. Than a full, you know, 
series with a season-long plot. Yeah, well, and even, like, you know, in Mary's synopsis, like, Mary was saying, you know, Brayden is just, like, president now. And, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have no reason to believe that he's not just president and that we're not actually going to get to see that play out. And they're just dropping all this stuff that could have been, like, big storylines. I mean, maybe we'll get it later, but then it's weird that it didn't come up. Right. And, I mean, they even mentioned Alex Diaz and, like, along the lines of what he was saying – But for all intents and purposes, like Brandon has office hours at this point. (laughs) And so he's meeting with people. So for all intents and purposes, he is legit the president. And apparently either the court thing didn't happen, hasn't happened yet, or is just swept under the rug. Yeah. I mean, Brandon saying that the hardest thing about being president is not being able to please everyone when like you could say the hardest thing about being president is that people are immediately challenging the legitimacy of your campaign. True. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. And then like his whole, you can't please everyone. Like by everyone, you mean you can't please Chancellor Arnold and the human rights activists. Right. Like so far the people he hasn't been able to please has been those to well one person in one group and then I guess technically Alex Diaz but again we don't really know the significance of his I guess influence you know obviously he was like a candidate for um his party but like how large of a population at the on campus does that make up like I you know it it seems like that was a line that the writers threw in to make Brandon seem relatable yeah I mean they like even with this, it seems like there's a lot of self-importance here and like look how important student politics is at this university. And we've talked yeah. about this before that like I had no awareness of mm-hmm. politics at my university. Because I mean like, you know, the the episode opens with this police escort coming on campus and we actually see uh, Mon Yoto in the first scene. But like mm-hmm. – you don't actually know who that is. So you're just like, oh, there's, you know, the gardener is stopping work to look at this procession and like it's supposed to be really important. Mm-hmm. But then you see Brandon in a suit, as is tradition, coming to Chancellor Arnold's house with like super secret clearance and being invited in to meet the president of Selenesia. Right. Yep. And he shows credentials. Like, <laughs> I. It's the a way, student ID, right? It has to be because the way he flipped open his little wallet, I, w- I was expecting it to be like how, oh my God, here we go, uh, Arrowverse mentioned, but Supergirl, when Alex's like little uh, wallet thing flips to whatever agency she needs it to be. <laughs> so Brandon just has one of those that's like, I need to be this or I need to be that. Here it is. When really it's just like a drawn picture of I can be here or something. <laughs> it's very uh, Ron Swanson. Yes, very much like I forget what he even says, but it's like whenever he authorizes himself to like cook the pig for the barbecue or whatever. Yeah, and it's just like I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, and and so he like goes in, he's introduced to the president, all that stuff, but – to me, what was most interesting here is that he was introduced to President Quintero as Claire's boyfriend. And then they just, like, move past it. I know. Like, he's like, oh, boyfriend? And she's like, yeah, I don't know where he's getting that. And then just move past it when, like, we see later in the episode, she's very clearly, like, 
at least spending time with David, if not officially dating him. Right. And like, let's not ignore the fact that even if she weren't, Brandon has a steady, serious girlfriend in Kelly. Who is also Claire's roommate. Like, (laughs) Claire is an enigma. She's fun. She's fun. I just, I love so much. She's like, yeah, I don't know where he got that. And then they just keep going. (laughs) I know. She's like, if I don't make it a big deal, nobody else will. The confidence. Yeah. The absolute confidence in everything that she says. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, that's when like they keep walking through the house and she mentions that President Quintero has liver cancer and that he's here for treatment under the guise of, you know, being here on some diplomatic Mm-hmm. mission, I guess, which it's also very odd to me. And maybe this is my ignorance showing that a chancellor of a university, it had been going on these like missions to install democracy in another country. Like, did he used to be an ambassador or something? Well, and that brings up another point to your argument of there being a lot of self-importance in this episode because it it seems like Chancellor Arnold is more important than, or at least to himself, he's more important than maybe he is actually to the university because I don't really know, um, I guess, the titles of the higher-ups at a university. I know there's like deans of colleges and then an overall dean and a president of a university, but... I don't really know what chancellor actually means. Maybe it is the president of the university. Not sure. But to your point, why would a random chancellor or president or whatever of a university have connections to a country, which we know is a small country, but still it's a whole other country. Well, and we've seen him like entertaining foreign guests before. Right. The dignitaries that that came to Brenda's play. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'd be so curious. You know, I listen to Office Ladies and they always talk about how there's like a show Bible that -hmm. gives like everyone's backstory to make sure that things stay consistent and that there aren't really like continuity errors. I would be so fascinated to see a show Bible for 90210. It'd have to be like seven volumes. Oh my God. I would love to see, frankly, any show Bible. But yeah, especially for shows that span such a long time because you have to be so um uh consistent but what's the word deliberate with your consistency too so oh my god that would be fascinating right because yeah it's not like this is not like friends where even your like core cast stays the same like even the core cast changes significantly for sure yeah um But yeah, so I guess apparently Chancellor Arnold in another life, you know, went on democratic missions around the globe, I guess. I don't know. It'd be – that would be one I'd be very curious to, like, get a full backstory on. Totally, because I could see it being something like when he was in college or when he was right out of college, he took a passion for humanitarian efforts or something like that. So therefore he – you know, help provide aid. We don't know what part of the, uh, the um, good Lord, the world this country is, but like maybe it was to a certain continent or whatever that he just really took a passion for. Mm-hmm. So that would be interesting to know, especially since they've been family friends for at least as long as Claire's been alive, it seems. So. 
Well, and even, you know, the next thing we see in the story are is uh the co chairs Kay and Ben. Did I get that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They come to see Brandon at his office hours, I guess, right? <laughs> and start telling him about the president of Solanesia and they tell him like, oh, his nickname is The Butcher. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating the idea that the chancellor would have gone to this country that was like known for torture and right. like, you know, probably not single-handedly, but basically like single-handedly with the president helped turn it around. Yeah, that was where like the details were a little muddy because it's like, did what? Regardless if it was true or not, did Quintero become the butcher before democracy, after democracy, throughout democracy? What's the timeline here? And if so, and if the chancellor supposedly was around to build the democracy side of things and kind of fix things or help fix things, what does he know? Right. Like, that's the thing that kind of got me is like, there is some, you know, pretty tangible evidence that all of this stuff happened under this man's rule. And like, Mm -hmm. even if he's a super nice guy, I feel like I'd have a lot of trouble letting him be in my life, let alone be so close to my daughter. Oh, for sure. Knowing that like he was basically ordering people kidnapped and tortured in order to give false confessions. You know, I just thought of, did you guys ever see um, Sicario? No. And John just watched that. Okay. Well, then I won't I won't say it cuz it it is a pretty big kind of not like reveal, but it's just a big plot point in the story. But um it just makes me think of when you see um like think about it, like Ted Bundy. He was extremely charismatic and for all intents and purposes a quote-unquote nice guy, but he's a serial killer. Like that's not to say that like when cuz basically moving in the story they say, you know, Kay and Ben tell Brandon about these, the state of affairs or whatever. And Brandon's all, well, I personally met him and he seems like a good guy. It's like, okay, but you know, you can be nice and cordial yeah. to people. It's, it's called a poker face. Right. And you can be fake to people and still be a brutal murderer. Like that, the two aren't mutually exclusive. Right. Yeah. There's like a public persona and a private persona. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know, going off the Ted Bundy thing, think of how many serial killers had like random ass day jobs. And then people are like, oh my God, I had no idea they would do that thing. Like, right. Because they're that's the psychopath. Point. They're, yeah. They know how to, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm just going to try not to like go down a whole rabbit hole. Sure. Uh, but I do love, because yeah, Brandon says that like, oh, you know, I don't really know what's going on, which basically tells me that he never like took an Asian studies class. I'm kind of assuming Asian just because like he was cooking with soy sauce, but that could be really, you know, that could be making a lot of assumptions, but whatever, like he never took a studies class about like foreign affairs. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, well, I didn't hear it. So it's probably not true, which is a very Brandon thing to say. Very. And I still think the, this guy seems like a good guy comment is also a very Brandon thing to say as well. So it's just like, Maybe he's trying to be an optimist, but it's also like he's writing on his ignorance, but not calling it ignorance. He's just yeah. calling it like, I didn't know about it. So there's no way like, cause I know everything or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's the self-importance of like, well, I didn't hear about it. Yeah. It's like, well, did you do research before you met this man? Right. Like you would think he would have prepared a few things like ahead of meeting this guy because you 
want to make sure that the guy knows that you respect his importance, you know, at the very least. Well, and yeah, like you're meeting someone from a foreign country and you're meeting someone who's like really high up politically. Like you don't want to mm-hmm. do anything offensive or like that will, you know, get you on their like no-go list and like blocked from his super secret security clearance. Right. But then, yeah, you know, Brandon's saying all this stuff and Ben says like, you heard what Alex Diaz says about this guy. You really are a chancellor's lackey, aren't you? Which you yes, know that's going to get under – Brandon's skin. Oh, 100%. It's just not incorrect. Like, yes, he definitely is. He is absolutely in his pocket. Um, and he's his little puppy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very like, you know, kind of the whole like when you're younger, if your parents believe a thing and like they start telling you what's going on in the news, like you don't watch the news as like a teenager. You're like, oh, yeah, well, my parents are Republican, so I should be a Republican or, you know, whatever, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it feels like with like Chancellor Arnold says this is a good dude, so I'm sure he's a good dude. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and you know, there's a chance that Chancellor Arnold just doesn't isn't even aware of it. Right. Like, I mean, it's a low percentage, but there's a chance that you just don't know. Um yeah who you're dealing with. I mean, and and that's even the case because then later on we see Brandon and Claire talking about Selenesia, talking about the Quintero and Brandon is just kind of like, Hey, are you aware of anything bad happening over there? And she's like, "Mm, no, I've been there. I've seen what it's like there. So again, we've, we've kind of got a little bit of a rose colored glasses situation going on probably with Claire because she's just known this guy for so long and like she said she's been there so she's seen probably just the good parts right yeah I mean that's that's the thing she says she's practically watched them install democracy in the country which means that yeah she saw all the good stuff she saw all the things they they were putting in place and probably was never exposed to and never thought to go look at what it was like before her dad got there and all these changes were enacted. For sure. For sure. But, you know, of course, Brandon, I guess, is going to keep digging. Um, And, of course, as we heard from the last scene, um, Ben and Kay and the rest of the Human Rights International group are going to make this stay, this visit, as uncomfortable as possible. So we get to this gathering, party, whatever you want to call it, um, and the Secret Service, I guess, for for President Quintero walks up and is like, hey, there's a protest outside. It's about 12 students. You'd be more secure upstairs. And what they're yelling, I mean, that this whole storyline is so weird to me. Just, yeah, whatever. But anyway, the, the kids outside are yelling, Quintero kills just over and over and over. Yeah. And like, you know, they take the president upstairs, Brandon and Claire go look out the front window and they see these people out there. They very clearly see like Ben and Kay at the forefront. And then for some reason, they both go back to CU's campus after the party instead of like to where they live or even like Claire staying at her dad's house. It was weird to me that they went back to CU, but it was clearly so that they would be there when Ben and Kay came over and Claire's really upset about the demonstration. Brandon is trying to be very diplomatic of it of like, well, at least it ended peacefully. Mm -hmm. And then Ben and Kay show up and are like, man, you really should have been at that demonstration. Josh would have been there. (laughs) And then Brandon says, I was there. I was inside. Which Brandon, that that's not what they, A, what they mean. (laughs) B, what's important. Like that's trying to like humble brag your way out of this, my dude. (laughs) That's like, he's very clearly trying to like 
say something, but what he's basically saying is like, yeah, I was there. I'm in the exact opposite side of this issue as you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he he like asks for more proof of what was happening in Selenesius. They hand him their report on all of these like human rights violations that have happened there. And Claire is like, I've had enough of this. I'm leaving. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And Bran starts flipping through and is like, okay, I'll read it, but like I need more proof like in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of Brandon's thing is like I don't believe it until I see it. Yeah, and at this point there's no one – none of the people that have been telling this stuff has happened is the kind of person that he then would believe enough to then be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we always talk about like Brandon needs to be told what to do most of the time or told what to think. Mm -hmm. And so far all of the people – that would usually be that influencer on Brandon just isn't on the side of the Human Rights International group. It's uh, Claire, Chancellor Arnold, who have been saying what he needs to believe, so he's believing it. Yeah, and like, you know, we don't even get Jim and Cindy until very much later in this episode. But like, you have to think that they're on the same side of like, this is a great opportunity for you because if they were against it, we probably would have seen them a lot earlier. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so moving forward, Andrea runs into Brandon at the library while he's doing research and things like that. And so they kind of chat. And Andrea is a big fan of the Human Rights International group. So, you know, she's obviously like, well, yeah, if if this is such a small country, if this is such a, you know, I guess blip as compared to what's happening right here, you should probably take it a little bit more seriously. What what other agenda does the Human Rights International have other than protecting human life and human rights? Which And I just thought that was an interesting point. That's interesting. And while you were talking about that, I just had a thought. You know, yeah, she says like Human Rights International, they they have no agenda other than human rights. But what about the animal activists? From last season. Well, now we know Andrea's pro human being. Just like, I mean, I I value Andrea's opinion. Like, I I get where she's coming from. Of like, they have no agenda other than exposing, you know, crimes against human rights and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, like literally last season there were animal activists being like, you're testing on animals and that's wrong. And she's like, but I'm testing on animals for the babies. Right. And maybe maybe it was like a point that they had to have Andrea make because Brandon listens to Andrea. You know, like if Steve or Donna or even Kelly, quite frankly, were to say exactly what Andrea said. It wouldn't have landed. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost like that whole thing of Brandon needs to be told what to do and what to think by the people that he values their opinion. And Andrea just happens to be one of them. Yeah. No, I just, I I literally just thought of it while you were talking about how she said that. I was like, but she hasn't thought that before. It was like a throwaway line in in the show book that we were talking about. (laughs) They're like, people won't notice. (laughs) No, oh my gosh. I was... So I was listening to the 90210 show earlier and they were talking about the like double standard of the first time Brandon had sex and the first time Brenda had sex. And I know that we had talked about that pretty extensively of this like double standard and like I don't really want to call it an excuse, but kind of their excuse for it was like 
in the very early bits of the show, no one was watching it, so they got away with stuff. And then as people started watching it more, more people at the network cared. And that's why they had to have opinions on Brenda when, like, Brandon had sex in, like, episode three. I mean, it makes sense. Like, not from a – I don't like that they just had to fit this mold kind of situation. Mm. But at least it is logical. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I could see – like even the way these are written being like, well, Andrea has to have this opinion on this and like right. we're going to ignore what she has said before because that was less important. Exactly. Like, people cared less of that one. The The big story in the animal rights was Brenda being arrested by the FBI, not the animal rights. Yeah. It wasn't about the issue. It was about Brenda. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so then later on, we get a scene with um, President Quintero and Claire in the kitchen of, uh, I guess, Chancellor Arnold's house, and Brandon gets there, and I guess, I don't, I didn't even write down what Claire and Quintero were talking about before Brandon got there, but basically this is where Brandon talks about having, or uh, the hardest thing about being president is to please everyone, and then Quintero says, like, if you like in order to be a good leader, you have to have thick skin, thick skin. And then says the whole if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen situation, which is true. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I don't I don't think that's untrue. And I think it's something Brandon's going to have a hard time with being president, not just the pleasing aspect, but having thick skin. I think he thinks he has thicker skin than he actually does. But let's be real. He's pretty sensitive to like people being mad at him. Even oh, if he hides it by getting more mad at them and then blaming them and they end up apologizing to him. Yeah. No, he is absolutely like a very sensitive guy. And I I do think he tries to pretend he's not where he's like, yeah, I can be Mr. President. It's like, yeah, but mm -hmm. like people are already mad at you. And the second they got mad at you, you were like, well, fine. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Right. Exactly. Oh, Brandon. Yeah. Because I mean like – I get what they were doing with that scene of, you know, if you can't stay out of the heat, get out of the kitchen from one president to another. And then before he even came in, President Quintero and Claire were talking about how her dad doesn't cook anymore and how, like, she's a constant reminder of her mother to her dad. Like, it's supposed to be a lot of, like, humanizing President mm -hmm. Quintero and making it, like – okay, well, you can see the facts on paper that he ordered all these people tortured, but then you meet the man and, like, he's cooking you shrimp and being like, taste this sauce I made. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because, I mean, Brandon leaves this, like, you know, really nice time that he's had with the president. He goes back to campus and the human rights people come in with Monyoto and are like, hey, this is Mon. He's from Selenesia. He... His brother used to write for like an opposition newspaper and they grabbed him off the street and started torturing him so that he would say that his brother planted a bomb in a uh, government building. Yep. And like, you know, Kay is explaining all this stuff and Brandon's like, well, I want to hear it from Mon. And I got really scared that she was going to be like, he can't talk because I ripped his tongue out. Ooh. I don't know why. But I was just like oh my God, he's not speaking because he's been tortured so much he doesn't speak anymore. I mean, that would be a very Handmaid's outcome, so I get it. Like, <laughs> And I think that's it. I think I've seen that happen in other shows. Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh no. Yep. See, I didn't go quite that dark. I just thought he maybe couldn't speak English. <laughs> that probably would have made a lot more sense. But no, I yeah. was like, no, he literally can't speak. Yeah. 
But no, then he he does. He tells his own story. He talks about the emotional side of it. He talks about how terrible it was. And then he literally unbuttons his shirt and shows like scars and bruises or not bruises, but scars and like bullet wounds. And yeah, like all of this bad stuff all over his body, front and back. And so, you know, apparently they say that Quintero ordered that himself, that torture himself. So it's a big, big, big shock. And you can see that all over Brandon's face. Yeah. And like his face, you know, all of that is really like we cut away from that to, you know, go to another scene. And then when we come back to Brandon, he's with Jim and Cindy at home in the kitchen telling them that the human rights organization has filed a lawsuit against the president and that if they serve him, you know, he won't be able to leave the country. He'll have to stay in the U.S. until the court case gets resolved. Mm -hmm. But in order to serve him, like you have to physically serve people papers and nobody can get close to the president because of security. And Jim is even like, oh my gosh, it's great that they want to, you know, hold this against this guy like he needs to pay for his crimes and then Brandon's like I'm the one that has to serve him and Jim and Cindy are immediately just like this is serious business and I don't think you should do this right they don't want him to get involved with a potential war criminal yeah and like I get like it was you know kind of funny not funny to me that they were like this is so great this needs to happen and then as soon as Brandon was involved they were like okay it needs to happen but you need to stay as far away from it as possible Mm-hmm. When, like, they were just talking it up. Right. But, the, but then, yeah, like, Cindy makes this comment of, like, Brandon, you're you're just a student. Like, you don't need to be doing all this stuff. And Brandon's like, you know, who tore down the Berlin Wall? Who stood in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square? They were all students, which, like. I get his point. I get his point. Like, he's just trying to say, look, like, if I don't do it, who else will? Like, that's the thing is, like, at some point you have to make the decision and be the brave one and be the one to stick up for what you believe in, which I have a whole other issue with because he just believed this five minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, there are a lot of questions about Brandon being like wishy-washy and like a flip-floppy kind of a person. But, you know, when it comes down to it and he's like, okay, I've seen it. I believe it. Like, I have the evidence that I needed and someone needs to to serve this man his legal papers, like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, to be fair, he, that same night, I guess, he goes to the beach apartment to talk to Claire and tells her his plan, which I can't decide, like, I do feel like he was doing it to be like, I want you to find out from me before all of this goes down. Mm Mm-hmm. But he has to have known that if he told her, she could have ruined everything. Oh, for sure. She she could have literally had told her dad, who then told Quintero, to then leave the country. Mm-hmm. Like if it, you know, if, if it was that serious or whatever. And yeah, I'm a little conflicted on whether or not he should have done that. Um, on the one hand, it's it's to cause drama between Brandon and Claire when there previously hadn't been any but I don't understand the importance of that at this stage in our story but like there is a lot of drama between Claire and Brandon remember her relentless stalking of him last season that we've just accepted was adorable or something (laughs) like there has been drama between the two of them I mean you're right it just wasn't it wasn't like 
it wasn't international war crimes. <laughs> right, right, right. The stakes had to be raised. Of course. And, you know, I I guess it's like the next day. I don't – it gets a little fuzzy at this point, like how many days have passed to me. Mm-hmm. But he ends up going to Chancellor Arnold's house. He, like, sees the security out front. They're like, oh, yeah, you can go on in. The uh, chancellor is sitting there and, like, uh, Claire did tell him what was happening. And it's, like, a very uncomfortable moment with Brandon and the chancellor And then the president comes in and he makes some comments that are like hitting a little too close to home of just like, my country's not as old as yours. So it's a lot more obvious of all of the horrible things that we did at the beginning of our country. I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) the US has done some not great things too. Right. Thanks for shining that light back on us, bruh. (laughs) And like, that's... It's a really good point, and it's, I feel like it's a pretty bold decision for the 90210 writers to put that in here. I think they probably thought that it would go over so many people's heads and, like, wouldn't be that big of a deal because, because of the length of time, right? Like, because America is, quote-unquote, so old, not that old, yeah. <laughs> that it doesn't matter as much like it's in the past the people living now have nothing to do like that classic stupid argument but I don't know I just thought that it was bold but I I think they probably hoped that it would just like go over people's heads well yeah I think it's a lot of like what I did was not that bad because think about what your country did and therefore right. like Brandon's like oh yeah you aren't a bad guy because even then like the president's like, oh, I think you have something for me. And Brandon gives him the papers and he just like accepts them very gracefully. And that's what Brandon took away from this whole situation. Yeah. that Because then he even says like there's always a price or whatever. And it's yeah. like – so Brandon took away from this that Quintero has integrity. Yeah. And like <laughs> – Even when he's back with Jim and Cindy watching the news at home and they're talking about how the president is resigning his post due to health reasons, they don't mention the subpoena on TV. And Brandon's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's probably not even going to make it to trial because he's so sick. And, like, truly, like, that's what they have to take out of this, not that he is a war criminal. Or that he helped potentially take him down. (laughs) And that's, like, if I were Jim and Cindy, I'd be like, do we need to get you protection? Right. But But no. No, he's going to die soon, so it's fine? Yeah. And then Brandon goes to homecoming, and Monyoto is on campus and stops him and thanks him profusely and calls him a brave boy. And then we get, like, the last lingering shot of Brandon walking across the student center alone. The end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It was just, like I said, it it felt more like a procedural, like this is just the story of the week. It's not a, any story that furthers the plot at all, with the exception of perhaps, I guess, solidifying that Brandon actually is the president, but we still don't really know if any of the court proceedings are still going to happen. So it just didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, same. I just, it was fine. It felt a little forced. And like, yeah, it's weird to try and squeeze these things into a 42-minute show when you also have three other plot lines. Like, that's the thing that always gets me. 
Well, that and you have, what are we on? Episode six. So you have 26 more episodes. And again, that's when it feels like, all right, let's chop it down by 10 episodes. Like if, if you're filling up episodes with stuff that doesn't matter, don't do it. Don't order 32 episodes. I mean, we could wish, but we've got 30 episodes for like five more seasons. It's just bananas how we went from like not okay so in the beginning of episodic television I want to say the tv shows that really started that were like Dallas and Wings and Dynasty and things like that so we went from having a general consensus that about 20 to 23 episodes would be your norm to then 30 30 plus for 90210 and now we get like 8 to 12 <laughs> per season. Yeah, and we have to wait longer in between seasons. Like yeah. it's the evolution of television is truly a journey. It's wild. I love it. It's so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I Brandon was the A plot, but there's still like a B, C and D plot. Mhm. It's bananas. So, Mary Andrea puts Hannah down for a nap and hopes to use her hour or so of free time to snuggle with her husband. But Jesse is studying. Andrea brings up her irrational jealousy over the women at work, saying that flirting for more tips is seedy. Also, she just wants attention. Jesse is like, Andrea, we are fine, dismissing her concerns without even looking at her. Andrea goes to the laundromat where a med student named Peter gives her change for a dollar. Peter assumes Andrea is babysitting and not just some mom. She does not correct him and enjoys his attention. When Andrea gets home, she finds Jesse waiting for her with candles and wine. He tells her he skipped work so they can have some time together. While Jesse takes Hannah to her crib, Andrea pulls Peter's phone number out of her pocket and throws it in the trash. Yeah, I mean, that basically covers it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the only thing, like, I would say extra, it's like, Jesse was saying literally what we said, I think, last time, where it's like, he literally says a good bartender flirts with his customers. Yeah. And, like, it's just, it's one of those things where you can tell that Andrea has worked, like, hourly jobs where she is not reliant on tips and, like, what people think of her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, the idea that she was like, I'm worried about us, and he was like, we're fine, and didn't even look at her. Yeah. If... If John did that to me, I would be furious. I would just be like, oh, are we? Then why can't you look at me? Like, right? Uh, I, yeah. I would have made it a much bigger deal. And like, <laughs> I, so sometimes John will be like looking at his laptop and I want his attention and I will put my face right in front of <laughs> his face. I will hover like three inches away from him just so that he will turn to look at me and then I'll say what I wanted to say. I do the like, same thing, but with Nate's Kindle, and I'll just put my hand over <laughs> the words, and it's like you can't read it, can you? <laughs> right? Like, I just, I just want you to look at me. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Give me some courtesy here, dude, who can't multitask. Yeah. So yeah, like if you know, I was Andrea, and I said I was worried about us, and Jesse was like, "We're fine," and didn't even look at me. I would walk over and just like close his book and be like, "Are we fine now?" Yeah. Exactly. God. Like, I would start women. that fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
to be clear, like Andrea has started that fight. This is a continuation yeah. of a fight we didn't see. Well, but and like, it's almost like – it's like for a second I'm like you're being irrational and then the next part I'm like I get it, girl. <laughs> right? Like I, I do think that her saying that him flirting at work being seedy is like – too much but if this is something that she's uncomfortable with you both have to address this and like not just be defensive about it like we were no a hundred percent yeah no I mean the first step to like having a successful argument is to not get defensive and like they both get defensive regardless of what anyone says I mean Jesse does give the whole like repair signals vibe where he's like look I'm really sorry you know, I know we have a lot on us, like yada, yada, yada. So it's like he he at least does that and Andre's just full tilt, like, no, this is bad. <laughs> and then, but. yeah, she, she goes to do laundry and she runs into Peter and they bond over, you know, both being interested in medicine. And, like, she accepts his flirting very specifically because, you know, she's so mad at Jesse, right? Yeah. Like. I, I think she feels justified in flirting with this guy because Jesse flirts with people at work even though like his flirting is a job and your flirting ends up in this guy giving you his number and like lies and all of this kind of stuff. And I also thought it was a little rude that Peter was like, oh, you must be going into pediatrics because you're babysitting. Yeah. That was like a classic like if you're going to be pre-med as a, as a woman – you stick to obstetrics or pediatrics. Yeah. Now, like, as soon as he said that and she kept talking to him, I was like, well, I don't like Peter. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) Catch me never, man. (laughs) Right? And then at the end of it, she goes home. Jesse's playing this whole romantic evening. And he, like, starts telling her about how he didn't go to work. And she, like, walks in all excited about it. And did you guys, like – it's pretty obvious that she left the door open with Hannah just, like, in the doorway. I did notice that. I was like, okay, so Hannah's outside. I didn't notice it until Jesse was like, oh, let me put this little one to bed. And it's like, she's outside. <laughs> I was staring at her. Like, I did not give a shit what they were saying. Let me just get the kid off the porch real quick. i <laughs> like, where was the laundry? Did she bring yeah, the laundry brought- in before the kid? Or she forgot the laundry, too. <laughs> and it's like, fuck, I spent a whole dollar on that. <laughs> All that laundry's gone. Yeah. No, I I could not stop staring. I was like, the baby is all the way back. What if she just, like, rolled outside? Oh, my God. Uh, she could totally escape her little, like, stroller. Because think about it. Back then, because I guess Hannah is a little bit younger than us. That's weird. Oh, Yeah. She's like, what, three years, three or four years younger than us? Oh, my. So strange when you think about it like that. But anyway, I was just thinking, like, when we were kids, comparing the strollers they had then to the strollers they have now, like, I'm looking at the stroller that my nephew has, and it's like, you've got, it's like Jaws of Life to get him out of that thing. Like, you you got all the zips and and the the snaps and the, the, yeah, it's crazy. So I'm like, Hannah could absolutely get out of that stroller. Like, if I could, like, reach over and pull my sister's shoes and socks off and still be attached to my stroller, she can get out of it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
I used to do that all the time. My mom loves telling that story. I wouldn't pull mine off, but I'd pull hers off. (laughs) That's so adorable. I didn't even think about the fact that, yeah, you'd be like in a little stroller together. Yeah. Like we'd just be sitting next to each other and then I'd just like randomly pull off her shoes and socks and then I'd just (laughs) look at my mom and I'd go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What did you do? Did you just like drop them on the ground? You're like, well, I guess I got to go buy more shoes now. Yeah. I'd just drop them. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. That's the first sign that shows you that uh, I need attention. (laughs) (laughs) My sister didn't care at all. She's just like, whatever. And I'm like, look at me. Look what I did. (laughs) Oh Oh my God. Yeah, that's that's, uh, everything Andrea did this episode. Yep, let's move on. (laughs) Mary. Ray pops up to say goodbye to Donna because he's done earthquake-proofing CU. He flirts and Donna likes it, but she confesses she sort of has a boyfriend. Ray says he can compete with sort of. He and his hedgehog hair give Don- Er, sorry, I gotta read that again. (laughs) He and his hedgehog hair get Donna to give him her phone number, and I guess he's smooth, but I don't like him. Donna tells Kelly she's gonna go out with Ray. Kelly tells her to be careful because he might be a murderer, which true, but I feel like Kelly's only saying that because he's a construction worker. Like, how do you know Spain wasn't Griffin's alibi for his murder spree? (laughs) Anyway, Donna says she'll be fine because she likes Ray and she trusts him. Ray picks Donna up to take her to their surprise date, and she sees a huge knife in his glove compartment. She begins to think Kelly might have been right about the whole murderer thing but she's pleasantly surprised when they end up at his family's pumpkin stand instead of a ditch or something. They carve pumpkins and snuggle baby goats and kiss instead of going to that other thing Donna was going to do with her sort of boyfriend. No regrets, even later when Griffin was like, I missed you while I was doing crime, and she was all, aw, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Donna. Oh, my God. She's just not the type to date multiple people at one time (laughs) she's really not like I think Kelly even calls her out on that at one point yeah I'm like yeah it's it's kind of weird to see like sweet baby angel Donna start dating two guys just because she's like not a hundred percent committed to Griffin right and like I mean don't get me wrong I also was a serial monogamist so I get it like it would just give me too many heart palpitations to like try to manage this <laughs> right and like you know donna is not committed to griffin like if she mm-hmm. wants to date other people she should feel totally free to as long yeah, as they sure. haven't like defined the relationship and she's just going out on like a spe- like, if they made donna cheat on somebody right after david cheated on her i'd be so mad oh yeah for sure i think I think it's fair to say Donna just doesn't really – I mean, she even says, like, I don't know how serious we are. So I think it's – I totally agree. If she had done that immediately after, A, it would not make sense, and B, it would have made us so, so mad. So, yeah, I'm good with this for now. Yeah, and I mean, like, I I do think that part of it is because we don't often see people flirt with Donna the way Ray is. Like, I don't think his flirting is good when she says she's working on a promo video for admissions and she needs to find the prettiest parts of campus. And he's like, well, you should just put up a picture of yourself. You're the prettiest thing I've seen. Like, that's cheesy. Are you a 10? Because you're the only 10 I see. Like, it's. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Or it's. What is it? I'm from. I didn't even say that. Are you that from. Right. T- that's, that's how Ray would say it. 
<laughs> you just be like, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I am sure. alone. Oh, <laughs> uh, anywho. Um, yeah, like I just, she calls him smooth. I don't think he's smooth. I still have the same feelings as I did last episode. I'm like, you are a wet blanket, sir, and uninteresting, and your voice annoys me. Yeah, I I still can't pinpoint exactly what it is about him that I see. Like, I don't I don't really know. And then he's, he's so like squinty eye when he talks. Like he always looks like he's cutting his eyes at you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. Is like his face doesn't really change that much, and I think he's yeah. supposed to be like mysterious construction worker man. But like I don't <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, I'm just not into Ray. Maybe I know too much. Yeah, I mean that's like. So the thing is they're not really giving us anything about him. Like True. he calls later to ask her on a date. She says that she likes him and trusts him. Kelly says she's a he could be a mass murderer, which I agree with Mary that Kelly might just be saying that because he's a construction worker. Like just because you go to school with someone does not make them safe. No, yeah, for sure. Um I also though, while I agree with you guys, I also am just curious if, like, this is another situation where Kelly reads into a person and has the right opinion and no one believes her. Okay, but the only thing with that is Kelly has not met him. She's never seen him before. So they could could be doing that. They could be doing that for her character, but she's never met him. That's true. It was Claire that was with Donna when they were doing the interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is all just assumption based on his profession. Yeah. And like, what do you know? Like, the you know she she has no leg to stand on because the people that they've known that they've dated have not been good. She dated John Sears, and he was an absolute creep. Also, didn't she date someone that kind of did construction? Do we remember Jake? That's different. <laughs> He's a main character on Miller's place. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he was also old and she was 17. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We've forgotten Jake already. Even I though mean, he has his own show. Anyway. Yeah, no. That's that is a solid point. <laughs> but she She's gets just in, very distrusting these days. She is. And you know, we think that's fair. I don't think she has any reason to actually think that's fair because she doesn't know about Dylan and his money. Right. Exactly. And then even with Valerie, like we'll talk about it when we get there, but like she's already just like ready to get over everything that's happened with Valerie. Yeah. Yeah. She is. But, but anyway, she gets under Donna's skin and when Donna and Ray are in the car later, we see them like talking about a tape, adorable that it was a tape. (laughs) He was like, hey, can you put that back in the glove box for me? And when she goes to do it, she sees a knife sitting in the glove, like a giant hunting knife. And then he's like, well, we're going to a surprise place, so close your eyes. And then she does. (laughs) Yeah, she's like feeling apprehensive and then doesn't think twice when he says close your eyes. Like, you don't have to, girl. He can't see you. He's got to keep his eyes on the road. Keep one eye open. Movie magic. (laughs) Right? Like, prepare your exit. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's all fine because he took her to a pumpkin pumpkin patch and is like, can't carve pumpkins without a knife, and then pulls this giant knife out of his car. And like 
it doesn't have a sheath. You didn't like have it at like the pumpkin patch should have knives if you're going to like carving tools come in those like shitty little books with the, you know, designs. And think about it. The knife they give you is like the teeniest, flimsiest little knife. You don't need a bowing knife that could do a foot to cut a pumpkin. No, that knife is made for, like, cutting flesh, not pumpkins. Yeah. Yes. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen that knife on the current season of Alone. <laughs> like, they're yeah. cutting muskox with that. Yeah, it's it's a whole, like, misdirection type thing. But as soon as he pulled out the knife and was like, this is for pumpkins, I was like, <laughs> what? It's exactly what uh, Michael Myers said. <laughs> And then he proceeds to basically abandon her for the entire day. Yeah. We never like, actually see them together. No, like he runs around with Aunt Marie or whoever and like checks in where Donna is suddenly like carving pumpkins randomly. And then again, when he forces her to stick around and go to the petting zoo. Yeah. I mean, like it didn't take a lot to force her to stay. No. But she was like, oh, I should leave. And he was like, but you haven't seen the baby goat. I was like, cool, man. I'll see you next time. Like, presumably this is here longer. <laughs> right. I hate to say it, but the baby goat would work on me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad about it. Like, when they panned over and the goat was on top of the mama goat and just, like, fell over, I was like, okay, I'm sold. I'll <laughs> yeah. stay. But, like, it's not a date. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, can you come volunteer for the day? Yeah, he even, like, leaves her with the baby goats. We see him later have to climb into the pen where she's just been sitting with this goat for presumably hours. Mm-hmm. At which also, point... Go ahead. At which point, he says they have a long-term lease. So, like, yeah, she could come back later and see the baby goat. Exactly. It's not a one-time... It's not a pop-up shop. Like, <laughs> I also think it's hilarious that that, like gate or whatever that Ray had to climb over he dramatically climbs over it like it's an eight foot tall gate when it's like three feet high he could probably just like droop his legs over and be fine this whole thing was just weird to me like this was not a date this was yeah volunteer labor Mm -hmm. but you can't leave because you don't have a cell phone and you can't call a taxi exactly And so somehow they talk. I didn't even write down what they said. They kiss. And then when Ray takes her home, he's just like, I'm not going to call you. (laughs) And she's like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then I guess he does the whole Ray being smooth thing and is like, well, I want you to call me next or whatever. Yeah, it's very – it's – it's kind of like the Valerie and Dylan thing where, like, everything is, like, a quippy line and you're just mm-hmm. like, well, just just talk. Right, right. Just say, can you call me next time? I want to give you my number. Yeah, like, here's my number. Call me the next time you want to hang out. Right. Done. Not, I'm not going to call you. Yeah, like, that's that whole, like, putting down a person to then make them do what you want them to do or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, Donna has bailed on – the B plot of the story to spend all of her time with Ray. And so we see her like link back up with everybody at the end, right before the homecoming game. And that's when Griffin's like, I missed you. And she's like, Oh, well it seems like you guys all did really good. And he he goes, I didn't say we, I said, 
I missed you. Mm-hmm. And then I was – and also, just because I've said the word homecoming again, I feel so dumb that last time I was trying to guess what this episode would be about, and it's the homecoming game. I think I've done this before. I don't even know what you even said. I don't remember what you said it. You thought it was. I had, I had no idea. I guessed it would be Brenda coming home even though I knew it wasn't. <laughs> hey, sometimes words can have a lot of different meanings. And to be fair, homecoming does. No. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I've definitely done this before. I When we did Home and Away and I was like, that's not oh, about yeah. sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally about sports. That's funny. Well, that brings us to Steve's going to steal something. Imagine that. <laughs> this time, it's a giant taxidermy bear, the mascot of the opposing team at the upcoming homecoming game. This time, Steve has assembled a team to help him, Kelly, Donna, Griffin, and eventually Valerie. Valerie has some friends in New York who did a thing like this once, causing a distraction with laxative brownies. Kelly and Donna bake brownies while Val goes to bang Dylan some more. She's like, same time tomorrow? And Dylan's like, maybe no, this is getting too regular. Val assures Dylan that she doesn't have feelings, but not before asking who he loved more, Brenda or Kelly. But more important than any of that, the laxative brownie bear heist of 1994. <laughs> Val uses her obnoxiously good lying skills to get the guys guarding the bear to eat brownies. Once they take effect, Muntz, who has been pretending to be a janitor dusting the same statue for like two hours, puts a contraption on the bathroom door to keep them inside. Then Steve and Griffin come in with Kelly and Val to carry the bear to freedom. Val borrows Cindy's car to go see Steve, but not really Steve, it's Dylan. When she gets there, Dylan's like, no, I'm doing stuff with somebody else today. Val proceeds to feel those feelings she doesn't have and runs off. At the unveiling of the stolen bear... Val tells Steve this is his one theft that he's done that his dad would be proud of. Kelly tells Val she's sorry she's been hard on her, and also she's an honorary alpha now. I love how much of a big deal it is to be an honorary sorority girl. Like, they've said this multiple times. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Greek life is just superior. It. I mean, it's truly like a big part of this episode, which yeah. I also – I get that colleges have rivalries and maybe this was weird to me because every college I know of has like a live animal mascot. Mm -hmm. It was like it feels very high school that they're going to go to the other school and steal their taxidermied bear. It made me think of um, the only other college I've seen this happen in was in Boy Meets World when they uh, – the um, God, what was he called? It was the Pembroke Penguin. Um, pe Pengy? Oh, Pengy, yeah. the Pembroke Penguin. And like Corey was the penguin and he like hurt his foot because he jumped on the trampoline and fell into the tubas or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. So dumb. But that's the only th like, so I was thinking about that the whole time. So it made it funny. So what you're saying is. TV college rivalries do these things, but real college rivalries are just like, I don't like Auburn because I went to Georgia. Right. Or like, I don't like tech because I have to not like tech because they're in the same state. My yeah. sports team is going to beat your sports team. <laughs> <laughs> or and sometimes your rival is like literal states away. 
So it's like, you can't just go steal their bear. Right? Like, yeah, it would... I don't even know what we'd steal if, like, UGA people came down to tech. I guess they'd steal the car? Yeah, that is one thing we could steal because, like, they don't actually... They have no live mascot because their mascot is dumb. But (laughs) we just come down and steal their, like, hornet's nest. Yes. Like, we just get a little bee and be like, ha-ha, got ya. But no, the rambling wreck car, we could take. We could take that because it actually works like a real car. I can't stop laughing at the idea of somebody running down to Georgia Tech and, like, stealing a bee out of midair. Being like, ha-ha. Suckers. (laughs) But yeah, they're, like, scouting on Southern California University's campus to steal their mascot. Not USC. I know. (laughs) And, yeah, they, they go into, I guess, SCU's. (laughs) student center to see this bear and they're like oh my god it's like 14 feet high and 200 pounds we can't do this Mm -hmm. which makes steve like i can't go back to greek council and tell them we can't do this we just have to figure this out yeah and he's like it's okay this was just a fact-finding mission now we know so we can make an adequate plan yeah and apparently greek life at scu has guards (laughs) watching the bear 24 hours a day leading up to homecoming because the bear was stolen once in 1964. <laughs> that one time 30 years ago. They're not going to get us again, guys. We're going to have security every year. Yeah. And they're like talking about this in public, like right. at the Peach Pit. There could be SCU people around. But Val walks in. They tell her they have this idea. And she's like, oh, yeah, somebody did this at my school, which is also weird. <laughs> and that she has a plan. But it's kind of cruel, at which point Kelly's like, come sit by me. (laughs) I like cruel. You remind me of Brenda. She was also cruel. Right? I was like, wow. She's talking about how it's something cruel, and you guys are just like, we're in. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Let's be bad girls. And, yeah, we, like, so there's a little side part where Valerie goes to see Dylan and is like, you know, I'm not ready to like shatter this good girl image that I have with everybody yet. So I'm going to keep doing things. And then, yeah, it's that weird part where he's like, we should take a breather. And Valerie's like, okay, but first tell me, did you love Brenda or Kelly better? And then he, Dylan says like, why are you thinking about going blonde? Which I was like, is is that your answer, Dylan? Did you love Kelly more? Because I don't believe you. I don't believe him either. I think what would have been a good comment for Valerie to make at that point was, you know, I've always wanted to be a redhead. Like, make it the third choice, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but she didn't say that. Yeah, this it's just weird. And then, like, yeah, Dylan's like, don't go falling in love with me. Which is the classic, like, she's already in love with him kind of situation. Or, like, what is it? It's in um, A Walk to Remember when Mandy Moore is like, you have to promise not to fall in love with me. And it's like, yeah. mm, well, kiss of death there. Right. Ooh, ooh, bad, 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 bad pun. Oh, yeah. My bad. (laughs) Whoops. But yeah, that's like we see Dylan for like two seconds later in the episode, but that was like after she's devised this plan and told them what to do, then she goes over to Dylan's and like whatever. 
But then Donna and Kelly go back to the beach apartment so that Kelly can make the laxative brownies. And she doesn't know that seeing brownie on a toothpick means that the brownies are not done. I would have laughed so hard if they had gotten to the end of the plan. They get to SCU and they try to get them to eat the brownies. And they're like, no, these are undercooked. There's egg in it. Yeah. They just like pick one up and it just like <laughs> goops down because of the egg. And they're just like, I'm not eating that. Yeah, like, sorry I wasn't a chef, guys. Somebody should have told me that there was egg here. Kelly, you should have seen the egg. It's right there. You can it's, see the yolk. It's on the box. Yeah. And the cook time's on the box. And it says, like, put a toothpick in, and when it comes out clear, they're done. Right. It, all of that is on the Duncan Hines brownie box. Exactly. But no, they did not know, so they took a gamble. So this whole plan could have gone completely sideways but it didn't, thank God. Yeah. So, you know, Donna goes off to have her whole day with Ray. So it's Valerie, Kelly, Griffin, and Steve trying to pull off – in months, trying to pull off this plan. So Valerie and Kelly take the brownies over to Keg House where poor months <laughs> serves no purpose other than, like, being obsessed with food. And he's yeah. just like, do you think these brownies are safe to eat? Which is, you know – them telling the audience that they're full of laxatives. Right. AKA, we're poisoning people. Yeah. Don't eat it months if you unless you want to get poisoned. Which and he as Steve knew. eloquently said, get the squirts. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. So gross. And then, you know, Donna hasn't shown up yet. They're like so nervous about this plant. They didn't need Donna. Mm -mm. Like I I would have thought she was a welcome addition but they don't need her but i really love steve being like a good spy has to be punctual and kelly goes she's not a good spy yeah. she's a reluctant spy <laughs> i did like that i, I like that a lot because let's be real donna's too earnest to actually be a spy so and i mean honestly i don't think donna could poison people no Definitely. I have a hard time believing Kelly would poison people. Oh, yeah. This is this is all Val. This is, this is literally poison. If they got this wrong, they could have put these people in the hospital and they'd have mm -hmm. no reason why they're so sick. Exactly. But, but anyway, the heist has begun. And not, I noticed, by the way, that Val's pants were undone again. Like, I don't know if she's setting this trend or if it was an actual trend. I really don't know. Like, I'm just going to, like, just... Start unbuttoning. Just like <laughs> I, saw, feels. I saw that on another show recently. Um, so Michael um started watching Manifest because it's on Netflix. <gasps> oh. And then we found out that it like there's nothing after canceled. season three. Yeah, and don't season talk to three me about makes it. no fucking sense. So I don't want to talk about it. They had a six season plan, they sold that to NBC. NBC said, Okay, we're gonna do it, and they canceled it literally halfway through the story. They need to just publish the rest as fanfic, I'm convinced. Because, like, I want to know what happens. It's really me interesting. too. I know. And I feel like, Caitlin, that you told me about Manifest at some point. Because, like, the whole time I was watching, I was like, Caitlin told me about this. I swear. <laughs> but honestly, I've probably told you to watch, like, a million different things. Because I all I do is watch TV and sports. So, who knows if it was actually a Manifest. But I'm glad it's, that you watched it. Well, I, I watched really one. It. Yeah, well. <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, yeah, the um, older daughter in that show, well, not the older daughter, twin daughter, whatever, the daughter in that show, she does that thing when she's like being in a cult or whatever. Oh, okay. So that was like, yeah, it's like when she two? cuts her hair all short. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, she did the thing with the with the no button on her pants. Well, man. All right. Um, but yeah, like their whole plan is that Kelly and Val are going to use flirting, more <laughs> flirting, to get these guys to eat poison. And then while they're poisoned, Steve and Griffin will run in and steal the bear and Muntz will lock them in the bathroom. And it doesn't look like Muntz takes the thing off the door. Like, yeah. this is mean. Yeah, whoops. They not only poisoned them and made them poop a lot, but now you can't get out of the bathroom until somebody else gets here. And they don't have cell phones. Right. But, like, these guys are really skeptical of it. They're like, they immediately try and give them a bite. And then Valerie's like, I licked the bowl too much, so I have too many calories. Right. And then Kelly was like, I'll bring out in the hives if I eat it. Which, like, then you shouldn't have made them. Right. Why'd you make them? <laughs> what if you get a crumb in your mouth? <laughs> and, like, but they, you know, kind of brush past that. And then the other guy is like, wait, my girlfriend's an alpha and she said there's no meeting tonight because their excuse was they went to an alpha meeting that – inspired them to bring brownies and then they were like, oh, we thought there was an alpha meeting so we had brought the brownies and then there wasn't one so you have secondhand brownies and lots would of really, effort. Yeah, it'd really break my heart if you didn't just have one. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd feel really skeptical if just two random people brought me brownies. Yeah. Like, don't eat or drink anything from strangers. Yep, exactly. Just don't do it. But and apparently they, they it works. They take a bite. And then it just takes a little bit of time, and then they really got to go to the bathroom. And thank God Kelly and Val stayed there because the guys are like, "Oh, she can watch. They can watch the bear, right?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll watch it." And then Mons puts something, just you know, a, like a hollowed out two by four, basically, mm-hmm. like over the door. And conveniently, the bear's on wheels. I know they were like, "Oh, it's two hundred pounds. It's going to be so hard." It's on wheels. <laughs> took them five seconds they had to get a truck and that was it yep and then yeah success not that like the other like i'm so curious what the fallout of this is going to be when chancellor arnold or the dean or the president of the college finds out that his students who can be very easily identified because they spent like an hour with these guys Mm -hmm. feeding them poison stole a bear (laughs) And that's the thing, too. You know who's not going to get in trouble? Steve. He was finally smart enough to say, I don't need to be the face of this operation. Except for the part when he's in the student center and he's, like, right in front of the bear being like, look what I did. Well, that's true. That's true. But at least in terms of the SCU students, that's fair. they never saw Steve. They just saw Kelly and Val. Yep, that's fair. That's very fair. But yeah, then they're at the pep rally and they're braggy about getting the bear and that's about it. Yeah. I mean, Valerie and Kelly decide that they're going to stop being so competitive with each other and be friends. Claire comes over and talks to Brandon, even though she said she never talked to him again. 
They all go to the game. Like everything gets wrapped up in a neat little boat. The only thing that isn't is right after the heist, Valerie goes to see Dylan and he's got another woman over and he's like, I told you this wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. And like she gets really pissed at him and leaves. And she's clearly hurt by it too. It's not that she's, oh, she's just so like, hurt. well, we had plans because they didn't really solidify that. But she's like hurt by it. Yeah. So she's like in her feelings about Dylan. So cool girl ain't so cool, huh? Mm-hmm. Also, I thought it was really interesting when like – so, you know, after the heist, Steve brings her back to the Walsh house and then he goes to leave and she's like getting ready to go over to Dylan's and Cindy comes in and is like, oh, are you you know going somewhere? And she's like, yeah, me and Steve are going to keep celebrating. And Cindy's like, I just saw Steve leave. And she's like, oh, yeah, he had to go back. Can I borrow your car to go over there? I was like, Cindy, start picking up on this. I know. She just – it's all rose-colored glasses for her because she has no reason to believe that she's a bad girl. Mm. So she's, like, completely solidified this act that she's a good girl, at least to Jim and Cindy. Now, obviously, Kelly saw a chink in her armor, and Steve has not yet. But, like, yeah, she's done a good job with this facade. But Kelly's even, like, getting over it. Exactly, yeah. Even she's like, eh, okay, maybe you're right. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's the whole it. episode. Everything gets wrapped up in a neat little bow. Brandon's a brave boy. Everyone's friends. Mm-hmm. And... Dylan's off doing Dylan things. Yep. Still need to figure out what happened. Or we know what happened, but ev- the gang still needs to figure out what happened to Dylan. And to, like, that's the thing is, like, no one actually gives a shit about Dylan. Like, that much is obvious. And, like, that hurts me to my mm-hmm. core. Yep. So, this ep, like, in terms of quotes of the week, I didn't have one. Okay. That makes me I feel just, better because I was I'm like going through and I'm like all I have is like snippy back and forths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I wrote down a couple things just to like make it a plot point or that somebody said this, but it wasn't like it was like potentially a quote of the week. Well, I'm like this is you know the the A story was like a really heavy one that like didn't mm-hmm. have you know fun quotes of the week. They were very like either intense moments or saying things of like the hardest thing about being president is not being able to please everyone. Like, right. It's not like they were intense. And like I said this before we started recording, I think, but the whole idea of like the A plot was about torture. And then the B plot was like, it's fun to poison our enemies. I know. It was like a little too. It was a little too close. It was a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. What about you, Mary? Do you have a moment? Um, I was trying to decide if I did. Um, I feel like it was probably Jim and Cindy talking to Brandon. I feel like that's the thing that all of my moments almost have in common is that they almost always feature Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, big Jimbo. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's just Cindy just being like, you're just a student. Like, don't put yourself in danger. You're only a boy. Not my baby. (laughs) My sweet baby boy. (laughs) But yeah, it was probably that. Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. I'm for it. Me too. I just, like, we can can feel Jim and Cindy falling further and further into the background. And I do know they leave pretty soon, like either this season or next season. And I'm just, I'm sad about it. I know. We need that. 
oh, maybe my quote of the week was when Valerie was talking to Dylan and she was like, they're so wholesome in Midwest, it kills me or something like that. Because, um, like yeah, it. they try to be like that and it comes across like that. At least they're not avocado heads. Right. I would do anything to not be an avocado head, <laughs> even if I had my Midwestern values. Exactly. Ugh. All right. So next week we have season five, episode seven, Who's Zooming Who? I'm sure Zooming meant something else in 1994, but I'm just like, a meeting? Yeah, teams? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is actually a question I have to ask at work of like, who's sending the Zoom link? Because right. there have been several times where like, I'll be in a group message and someone will send a Zoom and then somebody else will send a Zoom and then all of us will get into different Zooms and just be like, all right, which Zoom are we using here? <laughs> Who's Zooming who here? Exactly. <laughs> so I guess we'll find out who sends the meeting invites next week. That's right. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to Podcast. You can shoot us over an email, whatever your thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns are at Back to podcast at gmail.com. That's B A C K T O podcast at gmail.com. And please tell us if you went to college and your college had a rivalry that involved like defacing property or stealing or like pranks or something. Like, I'm so fascinated by this because that did not happen any of the time I was in college. Yeah. Same, same. That'd be really interesting to know. I think it'd be great. For uh, sure. And, you know, don't forget to go into your podcast app and, you know, rate, review, share, subscribe, all of those different things. Those really make a difference to us and getting seen. Um, if you leave us a five-star review, we'll shout you out on the podcast, you know, all the stuff that I usually plug. And, you know, until next week, I am a taxidermied bear. Dang it. I am not a good spy. Don't eat me. I'm not a brownie. Bye. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs>